Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at The New Crime Wire. A Texas family is seeking justice for the unexplained death of their mother. In December 2010, Janice Lee Wilhelm was found lifeless with a 45 caliber bullet in her neck. Her death was ruled a suicide, but a Dallas private investigator says that is simply not possible. Now there are allegations from the victim's children about a forged will. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com and I are joined by Janice's son, Wayne Roberson. Wayne, welcome to CrimeWire. Thank you, Dennis. How are you? I'm great this morning. Thanks for being with us. And as we discuss the the case, if anybody has a question or comment for Wayne and would like to call in, the number is 646 four seven eight zero nine eight two six four six four seven eight zero nine eight two and our chat room is also open if you are online with us um wayne let's begin by talking about your mom what uh what type of person was she well she was kind of a homebody she uh did a lot of uh sewing a lot of cooking things of that nature uh did she work outside the home well, she did uh, up until a few years before her death. She was a registered nurse. Uh, she worked in ERs. She worked in hospitals. Uh, I think the last seven years or so, she did home health care in which she basically drove around and checked on elderly people that were under some program or people that were disabled, things like that. Okay, and... Now, your mom owned a seven-and-a-half-acre farm in Centerville, Texas, and I believe that uh, that farm had been in the family for many years. Now, I've never heard of Centerville before. Can you describe Centerville and what uh, what type of city or place it is? Sure. Um, also, kind of, I can dispel a little confusion about that seven-acre farm. Uh, Centerville is located between Dallas and Houston. The farm is about seven miles from Centerville, and and Centerville is about one mile from the closest interstate. My grandparents deeded my mother seven acres from the farm uh, back in the uh, late 1990s. That uh, that seven acres that she has is adjacent to the family place and part of it, if that makes more sense. Okay, so they, they deeded part of the farm to her. Well, yes. Uh, if you only have seven acres, it's really hard to have a farm. That's not much land to eke out a right. living back in the 1800s. Right. Uh, it just so happens that specific seven acres is where they chose to drill an oil well in what used to be her, formerly was her front yard. Yeah, now... Uh... Your mom met the uh, an individual by the name of Gerald Wilhelm. Can you uh, take us through that, how, how she happened to meet him and who he was and what happened after they met? I can tell you what I know. My sister's mainly the expert on that. Um, 
when our mother moved back to Centerville in the late 90s, she'd been divorced, and uh, she had kind of retired, and uh, she was going to build a house or something, and my grandparents did that, gave her that seven acres. She got a job at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital, which is about 25 miles away. I think it's the closest hospital. It's in Madisonville. And uh, they hired her right away with her experience, and she was a nurse. And she met this Gerald character, and evidently she had known him back in the 1960s when they were kids. And uh, that's about all I know on that. Uh, the family never particularly liked this guy. We always felt he was a little on the shady side. Was um, did you did you uh, or your sister uh, know much about his background? I, I, obviously, your mother knew him from the '60s, but did uh, did you guys have any personal experience with him prior to the uh, the second? No, meeting? actually, he was. He was rather unknown, and we didn't know much about him until years later. I think in my mother's case, I think she was lonely. I think she'd been lonely for a long time, uh, and she hooked up with this guy, and I think she basically pulled the trigger a little too fast, if that makes sense. You, would you think of him, uh, I'm talking about Gerald, would you think of him as kind of, you say shady, but maybe a hustler type uh type of game no i think he was more of a good old boy kind of shady uh he uh i think he was a thief uh that's apparent from his history uh he stole from a lot of people the uh, woman he was married with before our mother he took her for a little over three hundred thousand dollars and um she'd had a stroke and that's how my our mother met her and she was in the hospital with that stroke and he convinced her to sign a joint bank account with some funds that she had received not that far behind, according to her daughter. Now, Gerald and her had no children. She, she, Gerald never had any children. She, he married this woman, and she had three children from a prior husband that were all grown. The youngest daughter, I think it's the youngest daughter, her name is uh, Sandra, uh, advised that uh, her mother had received two portions of money, one from the sale of a farm from an uncle that left everything to her, and the other one was from oil, oil, oil wells, mineral rights. And they'd both been conveyed, and uh, she had them separately, and supposedly they were earmarked for her kids, and Gerald convinced her to sign a joint account, and the day that she signed it was the day he withdrew everything other than less than $100 for the daughter. So that was around three hundred grand. Yes, sir. Now they took him to court, but because they were married, uh, he only had to pay half that back to the family. And so, so he ended up with roughly one hundred and fifty. I would say correct, from what I know. Uh, uh, that just infuriates me when I hear stories like this of, uh, you know, uh, people being taken advantage of in that manner. But like you say, this guy was apparently uh, uh, pretty slick and a thief. And you say that you learned later, you learn more about him later after he uh, re-met your mother, that uh, he had stolen from other people as well. So his, uh, like you say, a shady uh, background, I, I guess, is uh, is very appropriate. Um, 
So after, uh, how long did they date before they were married, your your mother and Gerald? Well, that's kind of what I meant by I think my mother was lonely, and I think she kind of pulled the trigger too fast. And I, no pun intended. Uh, that's I, I, I would assume that might be Texas slang that could be inappropriate on the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she basically uh, married him within a few months of them meeting in Madisonville and not having seen each other since the late 1960s. As a matter of fact, I don't even think I heard about it till after they were married. Okay, so it was, it was a relatively quick uh, courtship, if you will. Um, and you and uh, how about your sister? Was she aware of the wedding? That, that, uh, she the was shocked. She was actually the one, I believe, who told me. And I think she was as shocked as I was. And, well, I mean, if I had known before, I might have tried to talk to her. My sister and I talked about this, but we might have tried to talk to her, like, hey, maybe you might want to hold up a minute. But we didn't know until after they were married. Wayne, so, at, this, at this point in, in time, how close were you with your mother as far – did you live in the same town, in the same area? Did you talk oh, no, every day? No, no, I, I lived in Dallas. I lived in Dallas, and uh, I probably talked to her – I talked to my grandparents about every couple of days. And so that's how I knew what was going on with her because she was right across the road. Back in those days – I've got to explain something. Back in those days – you could not get a cell signal up, so it was landline only. And uh, my, our mother did not have a landline in that house across the road until much later on. So you actually couldn't really talk to her unless you talked to her at my grandparents' house or if she called you from a cell phone in Madisonville or town or something like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just was was kind of wondering what your relationship with her was like and how close you were and, and your siblings. As you know, some my, my families, they know every move closer. they make. <laughs> well, in this sense, we usually did. Uh, my sister was much closer to my mother. Um, however, this happened so quick and was so unexpected, I think it caught everybody by surprise, including my grandmother. Matter of fact, I think my grandmother was the closest to my mother, and she didn't know they got married until after it was done. There's been a lot of suspicion in the family that maybe Gerald coerced a lot of this, had a lot of undue influence, but it's only speculation. And so, uh, You say your mother was semi-retired, it, it, uh, I guess is a correct way to put it at this point. Uh, what was her health situation? When she first moved down there, her health was not good. That was one of the reasons she moved, uh, but she could, she still worked. Um, it was a few years later that it really deteriorated, um, but she knew it was, she knew that was going to happen. She had some back problems, and they'd never been addressed. Um, I suppose you could argue in our family we avoid the doctor until the last minute. The other thing that came up that was unexpected was she had that tumor in her arm. And it literally was the size of an orange. If you go through and look at some of the scene photos, you can actually see the scar on her arm. And it's, you can tell it was a huge tumor. When they removed that tumor, uh, 
it damaged a lot of her muscles on that arm, and so her movement and strength on that arm was very much prohibited. And was she uh, was she taking medications for various things or for anything? I did not know a complete list of her medications until much after her death, but I knew that she was taking a lot of medications. Um, you, I, you say it was difficult because of the cell phone situation and so on, that, that uh, talking with her, she virtually had to be at, across the street at your well, that grandparents. Was, that, was when she first, that was the first year first that there. she was yeah, that she uh, what based on your your contact with your mom and and anything your sister may have told you um near the time of her death what was her mood was she uh, upbeat was she depressed uh, were the medical issues bothering her you know uh, what was her frame of mind at the time of her death uh i was traveling mainly in the uh, pacific northwest united states on my job I was there in Texas about one week every month. Uh, I was in northern Idaho when she when she uh, when she died. Uh, my sister was, however, was in contact with her almost every other day. Her mood the last year of her life uh, was bounced back and forth between being depressed because of all of her ailments and her medical situation. And being slightly hopeful because she was, uh, she just had two grandkids. They were both relatively still toddlers, and uh, she was busy making stuff. She did a lot of sewing, and if you look at the crime scene photos, you can see that she was making some sort of elaborate outfit for her granddaughter. Um, so she was, she was always had that homebody portion to her uh, that that kind of kept her busy and focused. So. It, and does, did she complain, or was she complaining to anyone about her relationship with Gerald, or just, was that going okay as far as anybody knew? No, she'd been complaining about him for a few years. Uh, but at that time, because of her ailments, all the medication she was taking, she complained, she complained about a lot of things. Um, with Gerald, it was, uh, yeah, she did complain, but it wasn't any kind of complaints that would draw concern that perhaps there was an impending murder about to take place. Okay, and and another thing that uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, let's talk a little bit about oil. Apparently, sure. uh, you said it was ended up being an oil well, uh, almost what would have been your mom's front yard. Um, oh, it very so much tell was. Us, uh, tell us about the oil situation there and the oil rights and, and when they came to light, you know, when they first people started realizing uh, the oil was there. Well, we didn't know. That was one of the first oil wells they drilled this last oil boom was that one there. Uh, that one was a very, very, very productive well. It still is, um, even though oil has gone down considerably. Once... Uh, after her death and when they suddenly drilled that oil well and once we noticed we we became aware of the forged will at some point we got to checking the uh that lease for that pool where that well is and looking at who all had signed leases and when they were executed and the interesting thing was everybody 
and that Poole had signed an oil lease prior to our mother's death, but our mother never did. And as soon as she was dead, and they probed, it was almost like they just pushed that will and the proceedings as quickly and as secretly as possible. Uh, Gerald Wilhelm signed an oil lease, and I don't think the ink on that paper was very dry, and they started drilling that well. So she had held out. Either she had not been approached by the uh, people that leased the land for the oil company, or she had refused to lease it. Uh, I don't know which. Any idea? Uh, I don't have any experience whatsoever with oil wells. Um, any idea what kind of money would have been talking there with that with that well? Well, our family land, which probably was relatively a third, I, I guess, of that pool, was producing an average of about in royalties, which they pay to the royalty owner, producing about between seventy and ninety thousand dollars a month. Okay, so uh, it, almost immediately after your mother's death, Gerald signs this lease for the oil well. Uh, now he would have been getting those royalties or some of those royalties. He was getting some um, enough to make life rather comfortable. Okay. Um, now, were there other people in that area, uh, other deaths where people were involved with those oil wells and so on? Yes, I believe so. And to an extent, I believe they're still going on. I became aware of a very suspicious death that occurred less than two years ago, which was almost the same scenario. I uh, became aware of it because the, the victims, the survivor, the victim surviving family members, two of which have contacted us in the last 60 days. Now, were these uh, accidental deaths, suicides, or did you know how these people died? Every one of these deaths is appears to be ruled a suicide and the interesting thing is the county keeps no statistics so if you go look at statistics for Leon County suicides either you won't find any but they're very minor minuscule and the people all these people that are committing suicide just kind of seem to be under the radar do you do you find these deaths that are, are, are apparently all suicides do you find that uh, odd I sure do. Uh, I find it frightening. Uh, that's why we don't live there. That's why we sold the physical property that we own there, and we don't go there. So now, now your mother is found dead with a gunshot wound, uh, apparently a bullet in her neck. Um, now, who handled the autopsy? Was, was there a medical examiner in the county, or who would have done that? Oh, no, no. No, they outsource. They have some sort of contract, these small counties in that area, and they uh, it's with the uh, Dallas County Medical Examiner. The bullet actually went through the neck, and it severed her spinal cord and was lodged somewhere in her abdomen, I do believe. It traveled at a downward angle, a sharp downward angle. So the the autopsy results were ruled a suicide, which uh, 
Well, the interesting thing on that, if you don't mind me interjecting real quick, the uh, the Dallas County medical examiner somewhat covered herself because she said, based upon Leon County saying this, based upon Leon County Sheriff's Department saying that, uh, she said death is ruled as a gunshot wound. And based upon Leon County's uh, ruling of a suicide, she declared it a suicide. So she kind of followed suit. Correct. At the um, same time, kind of put it on them saying, well, that's what they said. So, So okay, so we're back now, even though the death certificate, um, was that signed by the Dallas County ME, the death certificate? No, no, the death certificate was signed by the county coroner, who's also a JP, who's interesting enough, uh, at the original police report, he was there already at the scene when the responding deputy sent on the 911 call arrived in the middle of the day, the middle of the week. He just happened to be there. That's what the police report says. Uh, Okay, so everything, even though Dallas... the medical examiner there was was involved to some degree. It, actually, it was a Leon County deal, right? Oh, very much so. Now, Leon, you told us a little bit about Centerville. Leon County is that is that a good old boy uh, county? In my opinion, very much, very much. I also have always kind of suspected with the. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard stories about the drug cartels and the drug cartel power coming out of Mexico. Yes. Yeah, well, we're only we're a lot closer to Mexico than you. So. Uh, the the so the sheriff, the Leon County Sheriff would have handled the investigation. Of course, you you mentioned the the county coroner who signed the death certificate. Um, were any of these things open to appeal? In other words, uh can the families appeal these decisions, or is this kind of it? Because I, I know, for example, uh, in I'm assuming Texas is the same, that once once a case is ruled a suicide, that closes any investigation. In other words, the, the cause and manner of death is determined to be a suicide. There's no reason uh, to continue any investigation. So that basically shuts it down. Uh, that's exactly I'm assuming what that's what happened in Leon County as well. Yes, sir. Uh, Lisa. So. Uh, now, you or eventually there was a private investigator that got involved in this case, a, a fellow named Avery Ensley. Can you tell us a little bit about him, uh, how he came to be involved, and what he has found? Uh, one of the early attorneys uh, had a relationship with uh, these people, and. Uh, he was the one responsible for bringing him in into that portion. He uh, did due diligence in trying to sway the authorities to uh, look into things. Uh, he met with the medical examiner in Dallas. They had to sit down. They looked at everything, and he's like, okay, the woman's spinal cord is severed, and yet she tosses a gun six feet away and puts her hands under her blanket, and she agreed, according to him. The medical examiner agreed, yes, this is this is clearly a homicide, but I'm unwilling to change my ruling unless Leon County changes their ruling. 
So then, of course, he, he butted heads with Leon County probably for over a year. And uh, he didn't make any progress in that area. Uh, actually, he's investigating other deaths in Leon County at, at the current time. So his determination was after examining, uh, I'm assuming, scene photos and reports and so on and so forth, that your mother, your mother's death really could not have been a suicide uh, based on all these factors. You just mentioned that she, her spinal cord was allegedly severed, yet she was able to throw the gun uh, six feet away. Um, and then put her hands on her blanket. Uh, and yet Leon County apparently won't budge. In other words, uh, and I, I can appreciate this because I'm in a similar situation with the case I'm looking at, uh, that you're in a catch-22 because one person, in this case Dallas, uh, ME, is, is would be open to changing her ruling to a homicide, but won't do it unless Leon County does something, uh, and and they won't budge. So you're you're stuck. Am I correct? That seems to be the case at the moment. Okay, now what options are open from there? Do you have other options, any legal options you can exercise to try to to force Leon County's hand or bypass them somehow? Mm, yes, but I'd rather not discuss those um, at the at the moment. Okay, but there are other uh, there are other options available. Yes, sir, there are. Uh, some of them are a little bit tricky. And some of them are, some of them are not very easy. But yeah, there are other options. And now, are there there are there people in Centerville and Leon County that are opposed, uh, other than uh, other than the government, other than probably the sheriff's department and, and the coroner and so on? Well, are, it's not there... fair to blame the entire sheriff's department because I don't believe that's ever been the case. There is a, in my opinion there is a very small core group and that, that is the problem. Okay. Um, are there other people, civilians, not government connected who are also opposed to what you're doing and would just as soon see you drop this thing and, and move on? Oh, very much so. And, what would their interest be? Uh, is it the oil thing, or are there other factors involved? I believe that oil plays a significant part, but that's not that's not the only thing. They were doing things before the oil, money laundering, uh, taking, getting grant money and only using a portion of it, what it was supposed to have been for, um, just basically general public corruption. So yeah, they would like to see this shut down then to to, to avoid any spotlight being shined on uh, on on the corruption uh, that that uh, might be going on in the county. That's that's what I think. I believe that. Now you said because of some of the feelings and and, and some of these suspicious deaths, what you consider suspicious. Um, uh, for those reasons, you are not living in Centerville or Leon County. Um, how about your sister? She's not in that area either. 
Oh no, no. She she lives uh a couple hundred miles away and uh doesn't go there. Okay, and have you ever or your sister ever actually had any threats uh directed toward you? Oh, very much so. And are you able to identify these like anonymous things, or are you able to identify who is making them? And- uh, initially, they started out very subtle, um, and they would usually do it by proxy, in my opinion. They would have someone I was related to or someone I knew that was semi-friendly with that they had influence that would maybe suggest maybe we stop what we're doing, maybe we shouldn't pursue it. And then it kind of escalated. The last actual subtle warning I believe I had uh, was someone that came by the house and uh, informed me that if I didn't stop, they were going to have me killed. Actually, no, they said they're going to kill you. My reaction was, who's they? And, uh, of course, this person, that was the wrong way to handle it because now this person, of course, will not divulge any info or talk to me. So, And then it kind of escalated from there. Have you reported these things to the police? No, because, well, I reported them to the Texas Ranger, uh, but the police were part of it, so that seemed to be kind of an oxymoron. Okay, the the Rangers, uh, as far as you know, haven't, didn't do anything or didn't have any... uh... Oh, the Rangers, Texas Rangers in Texas at the moment seem to be really good at burying cases. It seems to be a chronic problem. If you look at, like, Crystal City, Texas, you look at McAllen, Texas, and Hildago County, uh, look at uh, Jeffrey Wright, uh, who was killed out of Jasper, who was killed a few – he was the black man that was killed a few years ago, and they said that he cut his own throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a lot of national attention. Yeah, all those cases were pretty much covered by the Texas Rangers. Sounder Blaine, the African-American woman that got pulled over and arrested by a DPS officer. Initially, that case was covered up by the Texas Rangers. I don't really have a lot of faith in that, Dennis. So, you know, the Texas Rangers would be, I'm assuming, that if the local police are, uh, you know, are not doing the job or you don't trust them, the Rangers probably are your next step up the ladder. I don't know if there's anybody above that. That is correct. But the problem with ours is they they buried the case. I'll tell you this. even if you don't believe it's a murder, you still got a forged will. And with the forged will, I got actually got a copy of the Ranger report. And actually, an attorney did, and we uh, I look I've I've read it several times, and basically it blows my mind because we've got the best handwriting analysis in the state saying yeah, it's a forged will. Uh, uh, an elementary kid can can spot this; it's so blatant. And he sent it off to the Texas Crime Lab, and they responded, we need you to get a handwriting sample of the suspect. We need you to get a handwriting sample of the victim, and we need you to uh, do a couple of other things, like get some return checks from the victim's bank. Okay, the victim's deceased, but her handwriting samples from the bank and my sister and I provided him with handwriting samples. So he had those. He went and interviewed the suspect, but he didn't get a handwriting sample from him. He didn't bother to go to the bank, which was about 400 feet from his office, and he closed the case. So I don't know. Yeah. It seems like uh, 
there's like roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and and you you know when when it appears at least that many of these officials or people who are uh, in a position to help get to the bottom of things have not done their jobs, and uh, you know, and, and then you have well, to yeah. go and. Mm-hmm. You have to then try to overcome that, you know, the next step and overcome the next hurdle. Uh, now, you've been doing this for a while. You, or have you ever reached the point where you say, you know, to hell with it, it's just not worth it, and where you give up or want to give up? Uh, not really. I'm not really wired that way. Uh, the more obstacles we've come across uh, the more I've been obsessed and determined to negate those obstacles so well I got to tell you and uh, Delilah I, I think will agree <clears throat> we over the years we've worked with many 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 families in many cases um, you know that have have these types of issues, the the, the constant roadblocks, people not doing their job, and so forth. And it's very unfortunate, but a lot of these things are gotten away with because people do eventually, they just get worn down fighting the system, and they kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, you know, I've had enough, I can't take anymore, I can't deal with it anymore. So the... Uh, the corrupt or the incompetent uh, get away because of I that. Agree. So I, I I really admire anybody, uh, any of the families who stick with it and are able to, you know, stay in there and hang in there and, and, and keep the fight going because that's the only way that, the corruption will ever be exposed or anybody who ever will be held accountable. And um, so I want to uh, commend you for your uh, tenacity in, in keeping this, uh, you know, your inquiries going and, and uh, trying to hold or trying to get to the bottom of what actually happened. And um, I, I certainly hope that continues, and it, it sounds what you're saying. I, I, I think you're the type of person that will continue, so God bless well, you thanks, on that. Dennis, but I have to say it's not just me. I'm one of many, actually. And I think the one of the assets of that is when maybe someone or some group of a family is feeling that way, uh, they've actually got a support base of others uh, encouraging them not to feel that way. So there is strength in numbers. Um, they have done this to so many people in the uh, in that area. I don't think you could expect not to have some form of resistance. However, I maybe they do. One of the reasons I think they've gotten away with this for so long is because uh, people largely have been apathetic, and the authorities have basically played the games that they've been playing. That's well, wait, my this, humble opinion. This whole scenario is, is, I mean, the cases are just very, very, It's this is complicated. Um, just in reading through your website, too, if if anyone wants to get into some of the, the more detailed well, aspects. Let me, let me 
point something out. It's, ma'am, it's not my website. I didn't make it. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's they've, there are several websites for different victims in the area. Um, I've, I've contributed to that website a great deal, but I, I, I didn't make it. Okay. Like but it's, there are a lot of connected cases that are very similar to your mother's. Are, are these cases? Oh, a lot. There's a lot. Some of the family yeah. members of those other cases won't even come forward, so you don't know about them. Um, but one, it, it's interesting. Once you're kind of on the inside and you see all this, it, it's, it's like some kind of a crazy movie where you're like, what the heck? It is. It, like I say, it, it seems to be very complicated, like a spider web almost um, trying to. What What exactly is your theory or or you and your family members that are working on these cases? What What is your theories um, about what happened not only with the death of your mother, but all of these connected deaths as well? Uh, it goes a lot farther than you think, uh, a lot farther. And um, it's kind of scary. It makes me wonder. I have no proof. I've heard this allegation before. But I have wondered for the last year if there's not some connection uh, across the border. But honestly, I don't know. I think the the connection over there would be uh, along the lines of money laundering. That's just my opinion. Is there is there? You mentioned drug cartels involved. Is is that? Well, a, they they launder their money here. They launder a lot of money. They have some. Right. They make so much money that they 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 can't even spend it. So they launder it everywhere. Um, there was a uh, insurance agent several years ago who had a bit of trouble. I believe it was with the IRS, and she was supposedly rumor control. But she was involved in this money laundering scheme, and uh, she was going to give some sort of evidence for fear of prosecution, and she suddenly suicided herself. But she didn't shoot herself one time. She shot herself twice. And then her brother committed suicide the next month. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it it's just, it is very complicated. <laughs> just in in scanning through all of this, it's it makes my head swim. Well, you know, it it seems to me, and and Wayne, this is not just talking about Leon County or your mom's case, but um, generally speaking. Suicide rulings are a great way to shut things down and cover things up. And that seems to be what they've been doing down there for quite a while. Yeah, and and it's 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 just mind boggling. And and again, uh, I have and uh, experienced these concerns all across the country. In other words, it's not limited to Leon County. And another thing that I find troubling, I don't know if you have encountered this, but police reports, gaining access to police reports. Um, in, the, in a lot of states, cases 
police cases are exempt from the uh, Sunshine Laws or the FOIA? Uh, um, not here in Texas. We have the Public Information Act. Uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, a journalist out of California named Melanie McGruder, who's also a screenwriter and has wrote a few screenplays that were made into major, major movies, uh, she wrote a blog for that website about her dealings with Leon County Sheriff's Department and public information requests. Uh-huh. And my my this I have never actually requested a police report. It's either been the attorneys, the attorneys have used private investigative companies, uh things of that nature, but in every one of these it seems to be a consistency of they don't actually deny the public information request. They just simply ignore it. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah, again, very frustrating. And in some cases, if it's an open case, for example, uh, uh, they'll they'll claim that the information can't be released to protect the integrity of the investigation. And well, that's what the Texas Rangers use in the Department of Public Safety. I think it's usually the cause number is 522. But with Leon County, they just don't say anything. It's just silence. So they just don't respond at all? No. I think in Melanie's case, initially with the first one she did, she ended up, her editor actually, she was writing for a magazine in Malibu, and they went through the attorney general's office and actually got what they, not everything, but they got most of what they requested. Uh, And the other, and the follow-ups that she did, they basically just ignored her. And being that they kind of made the decision they probably weren't going to be writing about it anyway, they just kind of just, you know, let it go. Uh, Now, I know that Houston Chronicle and Texas Observer, as well as Texas Monthly, have done requests from Leon County. They probably did them. I don't know if they did them through them or if they did it by proxy. But my understanding is they pretty much had the same results, though I can't confirm that. Now, you've, you've said there are different things, possible options that you don't want to discuss now, and I understand that. But uh, we'd appreciate it if, as, as you move forward or make progress, if you could let us know, because we'd like to update this case, you know, yeah. as things go on. Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, something that really the public needs to know about what happens and, uh, you know, about the cover-ups and deception and, and all these types of things and how they can be combated. So uh, as you move forward and you're in a position to to, uh, to talk about things, we'd appreciate if you'd keep in touch with us. We could, uh, we could do a follow-up. And... Uh, I know you said you didn't develop this website, but could you give us the uh, the website you're referring to where you contribute and where people could find more information and even uh, uh, the uh, the crime crime watch daily uh, link to the uh, what they did about your mom's case? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, I can even give you a little information on how that came about. Uh, Beautiful. The website is, uh, of course, www, and it's texaspublickcorruption.com. Texas Public Corruption, all together. 
um, I, there's a couple of Facebook pages. One is Justice for Jan, and then there's an account and a page, and then there's another page called uh, Leon County Public Corruption. And then there's some, some, some miscellaneous pages with other victims and things. And the way it came about was uh, someone I went to the U- University of Texas with uh, back in the 90s uh, is affiliated with the group Anonymous. And uh, they wanted to try to get them involved, and they did. And they've kind of been involved. I wouldn't say they've made this any kind of uh, a focal point or anything because they do a lot of things. And they're kind of an anarchist type of group that's loosely connected, but they have done a lot uh, with this case. And once I think they found the blaring corruption, and being that they'd worked on Hildago County and uh, that city, the, the one that the FBI almost arrested everybody in town, all the authorities at Crystal City, Texas, uh, they began looking at Leon County, and they still are. So I am kind of hopeful that that actually may lead to something because they pass on just about everything they find uh, to the right people. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, the uh, social media and the Internet, some of some issues with the Internet, some people post stuff that's not true and so on and so forth, but um, the reach uh, you can get, through social media, or I'm assuming websites such as the TexasPublicCorruption.com, really uh, can get the word out to so many people. So that... I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, and it's... uh, I'm not an expert on using social media yet. I'm... uh, you know, I'm low tech, but uh, I'm I'm dipping my toe into it and uh, and learning how uh, I can use it. And I, boy, the, uh, it's just uh, awesome what you can do if you know what you're doing with this, with the uh, social media aspect. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up here, Wayne. Um, we really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing what I think is a very troubling story with us. And again, I hope uh, as you, you know, move forward with your uh, efforts to get to get to the bottom of what happened to your mom, um, you'll keep us informed because we would like to do a follow-up and uh, update the listeners on that. Be happy to, Dennis, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Okay, and thanks to our listeners, and until next time, stay safe.